And I'm going to be reading Matthew 5, 1 through 6. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, and their hearts, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, and they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they are inherited the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, their thirst in righteousness, for they will be filled. Now let's pray. I pray that you fill our hearts, minds, and souls this morning with the word. May you open our ears to hear you and our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, we are this morning back to our series on uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And let me just remind you what we've seen to this point, and that is that as beautiful as these lists are, these are not a list of encouragements that are spoken to various groups of people who are struggling or suffering, um, as nice and sweet as that would be. Uh, nor is this a list of um, the, the ideal goals for Christians that we should be shooting for. You know, if, if we can just work hard at these things, this is what it means to become a really good Christian. But rather what Jesus is saying is that my kingdom is a new kingdom. And, and it's a kingdom from the inside out. It's a kingdom that begins and moves out of the heart. This is not an outside in kingdom where you've got laws telling you what to do, where you have the coercion of guilt and duty trying to manipulate your behavior. But this is a kingdom of the heart. And as a result, this, he says, is what the citizens of my kingdom are like. What I'm describing, Jesus says here, are the inevitable character traits of my citizens. Because you see, to become a Christian in the first place, what we saw is that it begins with a, an awareness of our deep spiritual poverty. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And see, and I think merely religious people often lack this kind of spiritual poverty because what religious people are often looking for is good advice, right? How can I live a better Christian life? What do I need to do to make God happier with me? You know, I'm almost there. I've been working hard at this. What do I need to do? But citizens of Jesus' kingdom have such a deep poverty of spirit that they have no illusions that enough self-improvement is even possible. And so they come throwing themselves in God's mercy. See, for the spiritually poor person, all you have is need, which Jesus says is the only requirement to enter my kingdom. But most people don't have enough. They have need plus something that they bring to the table. They have need plus my good works, need plus my good intentions, need plus I'm not as bad as this person and I'm doing my best over here. And as a result, Jesus moves on to say that rather than just excusing away their flaws or trying to justify uh, their shortcomings, or even instead of making a deep commitment to change and, and to live a more consistent life, I'm gonna be better this time. Citizens of Jesus' kingdom simply mourn over their sin because there's nothing else we can do about it. Right? We hate our sin. We long for it to be, its control to be broken over us. 
And as a result, citizens of Jesus' kingdom are meek. That is, they, they have a right view of themselves uh, as, as needy and empty and blind and pitiful and poor uh, in spirit. And, and so meekness is how that poverty of spirit expresses itself in our relationships with those around us. Because you see, meek people have nothing to boast about except Jesus. Meek people have nothing to defend in themselves because every ounce of goodness in us is credited righteousness. It's given righteousness. It's not earned righteousness, at least not by us. And see, all of these opening beatitudes up to this point start with what it means to be emptied of self. See, that's the number one prerequisite for being in Jesus' kingdom. It's a death to self. But now Jesus begins to give us the flip side. That is, okay, if, if I'm to be emptied of all this stuff, what should I be filled with? You know, once we're emptied, what takes its place? And so today he begins to talk about a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Um, and it's, it's really a fascinating way of talking about the spiritual needs of our hearts. Because listen, every single one of us, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you love God or even whether you hate him, everybody shares this deep hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, we don't often call it that, and so you may not recognize it, but I want you to think, even from the earliest ages of childhood, we can see kids that are totally obsessed with me, right? Like, a cry when I'm hungry. I, I throw a temper tantrum when I don't get my way because life is all about me. As we move through the school years, um, that hunger expresses itself in a deep need to, to fit in, to be, to be cool, uh, to be liked by those around us. It's a hunger that drives us to do all sorts of stupid things, especially as teenagers. And then as we move into the world of adulting, most of us have by that time honed in on what things we're good at and what things that we should avoid. And so we begin to develop these entire identities around our strengths. And so we become doctors and IT professionals and self-made businessmen and moms and dads. And, and when you succeed at your identity that you've made for yourself, you're happy with your life. And when you fail, you're distraught. Life is over. I can't go on. Now, why? What's going on here? See, what's Jesus telling us here with this word hunger? He's telling us that every one of us has a deep hunger for being declared right, for being declared good, for, for people around us to rise up and say, you're worthy, you're somebody, you're special. And yet here's the big problem. No matter what identity it is that we choose in this life, no matter what we choose to satisfy that deep hunger in our souls, it never works, or at least it never lasts. And we find ourselves hungry for even more. And we're often wondering, well, what's wrong with me that I can't be filled up? Or maybe something's wrong with the choices that I've made and I need to choose a new path. I need a, a new job or a new spouse or a new direction. But you see, that hunger is never satisfied ever, no matter where we chase. And, and I hope you can see by now that this not only describes your entire life, but it, it describes the world in which we all live. I mean, everybody is desperate to prove that they're worthy, right? that I'm woke enough, that I'm smart enough, that I'm beautiful enough, that I'm powerful enough to be able to make it in this world. And, and you see, into that context, Jesus comes along here and says, if you hunger and thirst for anything besides righteousness, you're still gonna be hungry. You're still gonna be anxious. You're still gonna be afraid. 
you're still going to be insecure. You'll be restless because nothing else can ever fill you up. Listen, what is your heart hungry for today? What are the things that drive you? What are the things that fill you with hope and expectation? Man, I just, I, I need to get that. I'd love to get that. And, and listen, let, let me just throw the sledgehammer down here, right where Jesus does and lay it out as we get started. Because essentially, I think what he's getting at here is, is pursuing God for you a hobby or is it a passion? See, that's, I think that's what he's talking about. You know, is God something, you know, you're interested in, maybe even devoted to, but something that you work into the rest of your life? You fit God and holiness and character and integrity around your other agendas that really drive you? Or is the rest of your life something that you work around God? And I think that's what Jesus is after here today. I mean, you know, let's be honest. Most of us here are interested in God or we wouldn't be here this morning. We're interested in the things that he has to say to us. We're, we're, we're not God deniers. But Jesus here says, but that's not enough. Citizens of my kingdom have given up trying to find their appetites satisfied in this world. And that hunger and that passion is now directed toward me. See, is God useful for you today? Maybe even necessary. Or is he the hunger and the all-consuming thirst of your heart. Now, the first thing I want us to look at together here is where Jesus says, the truly happy people in this life, and the word blessed, happy is the same word, the truly happy people in this life are those who have a hunger for righteousness. All right, let's hone in on that word righteousness for a minute. Because, I mean, let's just be honest about this straight away. We, we've all grown up in a world where we are told that the more unrighteous you are, the more fun you can have, right? I mean, girls just want to have fun. We are young, so let's set the world on fire. We can burn brighter than the sun. We're going to burn this place down. And yet Jesus says the exact opposite, right? The only people who are ever truly happy are those who pursue righteousness. And so right off, if nothing else here, Jesus is at great odds with how our culture thinks. Frankly, if we're honest, with how our own hearts naturally believe. Now, now what is he getting at here? See, as, as we noted earlier, everybody is seeking happiness, whether it's happiness through self-fulfillment or happiness through power and, and being able to control people or your situation. Some people pursue happiness through, through beauty or through fame and popularity, uh, others through a family and all the goals that you have for your, you know, the perfect house and the perfect kids and the perfect cars. And, or maybe for you, it's the perfect body and exercise and fitness and or how to improve your sex life. I mean, just go through the checkout aisle in the supermarket. Everyone is there telling you how to fix all of the problems in your life. There's a million ways out there that we're told this is the secret to happiness. And yet, as we said, the problem is that though everybody desperately seeks it, nobody ever finds it. Happiness is elusive. See, everything in this world gives us a taste of happiness. Everything reminds us that happiness must exist somewhere but everything we pursue leaves a bitter taste in our mouths it leaves us even more hungry than we were before and jesus tells us the reason is because whenever you put happiness ahead of righteousness you're doomed to misery nobody who ever pursued happiness found happiness ever and i want you to think about why for a minute see the bible tells us that you and i were designed by god for a purpose 
And that purpose is righteousness. I mean, we were designed to be like God. We were made after his image. We don't really have any choice in that. It's simply how we were made. And, and so anything else that you chase after simply won't work. It, it doesn't fit who we are. It doesn't fit what we were designed to be. Now, I know your heart doesn't naturally believe that, but let me explain to you uh, a way of understanding the lie I think that Jesus is exposing here. Imagine, let's imagine you're suffering from some serious illness, maybe a cancer or something like that, and all your doctor is concerned about is helping you to get rid of your pain, trying to mask the problem so it doesn't bother your lifestyle too much, trying to avoid a painful surgery and a long recovery. That's just really gonna mess with your plans, right? Uh, and, and it might interfere with your daily routine. And so he does absolutely nothing to deal with the root cause of your problem, just the symptoms. Now, what's going to happen? You, you might feel better briefly for a moment at first, but eventually you're just going to get worse and worse until that disease kills you, right? And I think Jesus says that that's exactly what's going on in your heart. You feel all sorts of pains, loneliness that various forms of sex can cover over Boredom, that all kinds of entertainments can make you forget for a moment. Fears that dreaming up all these crazy fixes and scenarios are going to make go away for a moment. See, we feel all sorts of pains in this life. And, and the lie of sin is that if we can just somehow cover them over for a moment, if we can drink them away or eat them away or spend them away or succeed them away, then we'll be happy. And Jesus says, no, you won't because you haven't yet dealt with a real problem. You haven't addressed the cause underneath of it all. And it's sin, it's a lack of righteous integrity because that's what you were designed for. And, and as much as we desperately want to, you cannot redefine your owner's manual according to your own personal preferences. I mean, you can try, people do it all the time, but you're still gonna be unhappy. That deep hunger in your soul is not gonna go away. See, the world really believes that you can do this. You can define your own life. And because we live in that world, I think we often do as well. You know, we think, I, I should be able to define what makes me happy. Nobody should tell me what that is for my life. I mean, my body, my choice, right? Well, all of that is possibly true if you're not designed. But if you are, you've got to follow the owner's manual. And listen, the pains and the struggles of life are good because without pain, we would not be aware of our deeper problems. We'd be obliv oblivious to the deeper things that are actually killing us. And distracting those pains with alcohol and sex and power and control and busyness and home renovations and whatever are not going to deal with the core cause of your pain. It might fool you into thinking it's been treated, but deep down it's still killing you. And listen, Jesus says those who hunger for happiness will never be happy. Only those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will ever be happy. This is the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. And listen, even pursuing God isn't always the answer. I mean, Christians struggle with this too because so often we find ourselves pursuing the effects of God rather than God himself. See, we think we can find God in the music on Sundays and it just lifts up my soul. Or we, we think we can experience God in the sermon or maybe we feel loved in the community of a small group. And all that's good, but that's not necessarily God. That's the effects of God. And, and being a religious junkie or a church junkie isn't gonna fix that hole in your heart. 
any more than chasing after the wind will. Because we were not meant to hunger and thirst after experiences of righteousness, but after righteousness itself. So let me just ask the next question then. Just what is this righteousness that we're supposed to seek? And listen, in a religious culture like ours, we've just got to say flat out that it's not morality. It's not merely being a good person. It's not being a faithful church person. I mean, all that's good. But Christian righteousness goes far beyond that. It's much deeper than that. Because you see, the very first step in this process is to admit that you don't have any righteousness, that you need an outside righteousness. It's what the theologians called alien righteousness. It comes to you from the outside, and it's given to you. You can't produce it on your own. But listen, the very nature of of how hunger and thirst works is that you're longing for something you don't have. I mean, if you have a bit of bread, you know, you might like more, but you're not hungering for bread. And see, Jesus is telling us here, we don't have any righteousness. No matter what we do, no matter how well we live, and that's why we're hungry for it, because we don't have any. You know, I, I think it's interesting here that the words hunger and thirst are in the accusative tense. We'll do some Greek here, right, which is very unusual. Uh, see, in English, the, the normal uh, kind of genitive tense that we would use here gives us the idea that you're hungry for a piece of bread or you're thirsty for a glass of water. All right, that's, that's the genitive case. But in the accusative tense here, what it means is that we hunger and thirst after righteousness itself. Right? Not a piece of it, not a little bit of it, but all of it. Because listen, good moral people also hunger for righteousness, but only for a piece of it, the the piece that they think they're missing. See, a moralist can be poor in spirit. A moralist can mourn over their sin. A, A moralist can even be meek to a degree, but they always settle for genitive righteousness, that is, for some righteousness, a piece of righteousness, because it's still all about themselves. Look what I've done. Look how good I've been. I only need a little slice of righteousness to make up what I'm lacking. But a Christian hungers for righteousness itself, for all the righteousness in the world, which means a Christian is not content to merely repent of their sins and their bad deeds, uh, but they also repent of their righteousness for the good things that we do that reveal how deeply we feel we ought to be rewarded and congratulated for how good they've been. See, a a Christian repents even of his good deeds done as a way of trying to justify themselves because even our best deeds are self-serving. They're never pure because a Christian knows that merely having some righteousness is no better than having no righteousness. I'm either righteous because Jesus was righteous for me and he gave it to me and it's done or I'm righteous because of the things that I do or the things that I don't do and that makes it all about me and I'm doing things that therefore is to to merely feel better about myself to be noticed by God maybe to get my prayers answered but it always falls short listen John Stott I think nailed it when he said if the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God then the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for me. You see, it's all about his record given to us. And and the only verdict that really matters now is God's. And that frees me from the verdict of others. It frees me from the struggles that plague me. Because that's not my life. That's not my righteousness. Jesus is my righteousness. 
And, and if you believe that, it undermines pride because my successes aren't from me. And it undermines beating yourself up because your failures aren't you either. The only verdict that matters is God's verdict. And that takes away any boasting. It takes away any pride. It takes away any needing to beat yourself up. But, and listen, this is a huge but here. This is not just talking about justification, the fact that we have a legal standing with God that makes us holy and righteous in his sight. The context here, I think, suggests that he's also thinking about our sanctification. That is, our daily experience of that righteousness applied to us. In other words, Jesus is not merely talking here about the need to be legally covered with the righteousness of Jesus. We do, we do need that. But he's also talking about a desire for righteousness, for actual righteousness, practically every day. Because you see, the very act of hungering and thirsting means he's talking about a desire, a desire to be free from all the sin that drags us down in all its varied forms. We have a desire to be freed from sin because it separates us from God, which is our source of joy. We have a desire to be pure and holy because it makes our daily relationship with God right and open and, and pure there, where there's nothing to hide and feel ashamed of. Because listen, sin comes between us and God. And he's talking here about a desire to have that gap bridged. Sin keeps us from being who we are and all we were designed to be. Sin keeps us from knowing who God is and what he wants from us. Sin keeps us from remembering everything that we have in Christ and all the new life that's possible as a result. See, this is talking about a sweet community with God, enjoying his presence and his favor, longing to be free from the power of sin, which is why we mourn over it. You know, I want all the brokenness to stop. I long to have rest in my soul. I want a deep and lasting peace. But I think it's not just a personal peace we're after. I think there's also a longing for peace out there in the world, right? Where, where community and harmony reign. I mean, our, our world is under the control of Satan. Everything out there is broken. Um, you know, there's chaos, there's hatred, there's bigotry, there's injustice. And we all long for that to be healed. In fact, even as Christians, we're still blinded by the power of sin. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 7 where he says, I just can't seem to do the good things that I want to do. And all the bad things I don't want to do, I keep doing them and I hate it. I hate doing those things. I hate that I can't seem to stop it. See, this is more than a desire to be free from some particular sin in your life. It's a longing to be free from sin itself. And all the ways that it's broken me and my community and my world and my relationships. In fact, I even grieve over the fact that as much as I hate my sin, part of me still likes it. That's why I keep doing it. And I want to be free from that. Sin pollutes every aspect of our humanity. And see, this is what Jesus has been talking about all along here. A, a meek person is free from self. Free of pride, free from boasting, freed from the need of self-protection, freed from being sensitive about what people say and think about me, free from needing to build myself up to look better than I am. A person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness longs to be freed from all of that junk, all the tentacles of that that reach into our soul. 
But I think it's also a positive longing to, to be holy, right? To, to be in right relationship with God. Um, to, to live a life that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. To become all that Jesus has rescued me to be. See, to know God and to walk in fellowship with him the way that Adam and Eve did. In short, it's a desire to be more like Jesus and less of a desire to use Jesus to get what I really want. And don't you see how radically different this is than the typical religious duty? This is not filling in the edges with what you can't complete so that God will be happy with you and give you a better life. This is a longing for holiness, a longing to be like Jesus in every way. And Jesus says that citizens of my kingdom are noted for these desires. That's what they long for more than anything else. Now, thirdly, I want us to look at the other part of his statement here. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be happy. What does it mean to not just want it, but to hunger and thirst for it? Well, I mean, it certainly means that we're incapable of getting there on our own. If you hunger for something, it's because you don't have any of it. You don't hunger and thirst for something you've already got, but, you know, it's something that's lacking, something you desperately need. And, and listen, the, the basis for so much of the religion that goes on today is, is exactly the opposite. So much of religion tells you, guys, you've got the ability to do this. You just need more motivation. Maybe some guilt, some shame, some fear. God's going to get you. Maybe you just need more examples. You know, be like David, be like Samson, be like Moses. Or maybe you need a little bit more emotional conviction with some powerful music and worship. And I think to all this, Jesus says, no, that only produces more pride if you get there and more shame when you don't. And there's no satisfaction like Jesus is talking about here, at least not anything that lasts. Because listen, as we've already said, everybody hungers for righteousness, but every, because everybody longs to be approved. Everybody wants to be validated. And so we have woke righteousness, we have moral righteousness, you have Southern values righteousness, you can have mom righteousness or successful business righteous, righteousness. But listen, why are we so desperate to chase after all these things? And I think the reason Jesus says is because we're all waiting for a verdict. Will I be approved? And we're desperately afraid of being rejected. We're desperately afraid of not being approved. See, everybody suffers from these fears and we're afraid we won't last. We're, we're, we're afraid that what we do won't be enough. We're afraid that we won't be able to keep up with everybody else. And I think we need to hear what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter three. No one is righteous, not even one. So stop it. You cannot be righteous. See, those who enter Jesus' kingdom become aware that they can never be acceptable enough. And that every micro fear that we experience every day is really the deeper fear of rejection by God. And the gospel tells us that's been satisfied by Jesus. But, but I think what Jesus is pushing us to see here is that, sure, you can be legally covered by my righteousness. You can be a believer and it's paid in full. It's all legally true of you. But how conscious are you of your desperate need? Functionally, practically. How desperate are you to experience the joys of this righteousness today? See, do you grieve over your sin instead of feeling guilty about it? 
Do you grieve over your sin rather than trying to distract yourself from it? Do you grieve over your sin rather than trying to fix it with your own good works that make up for what you've blown? And see, hungering and thirsting means that you're willing to endure any pain, any struggle in order to get the deep satisfaction of Jesus. And you're never going to stop until you get there. I mean, a person who's starving to death and, or is dying of thirst, they're going to do anything. They'll endure anything just to get to the food and the water. And I, th I think it's helpful, at least it is for me, to remind ourselves that we're already doing this. We're already hungering and thirsting for things like that. We do it every day. See, what, what things do you daydream about getting? What things do you fondle in your mind? Oh, that would be sweet. That would be the good life. What things do you imagine would make your life wonderful and full and special? What scenarios do you play through your mind that contemplate joy and satisfaction? If I only had that, right? And see, for the Christian, you realize nothing else is gonna satisfy. I've been doing this my whole life and nothing ever satisfies me. I'm pursuing Jesus and I will not be distracted away from it. He has now become my obsession, the way that all my other loves have been. I mean, think about this. You remember what turned the starving prodigal son back toward home? He was starving, right? The, the feed of the pigs that he was sharing wasn't enough to satisfy him, and he became desperate. His life was ebbing away, and that's why he went home. And, and so I think Jesus' question here is, are you desperate for Jesus? Are you hungry for righteousness? Or is Jesus merely a motivational tool to help you live a better life? I think that's what he's after here. Now, we can't end this without saying the promise Jesus gives us that says, for they will be filled, right? We need to be filled. That's what Jesus is after. Um, but you cannot be filled until you come to see that all you need is need. See, no matter what your heart tells you, you don't need a better spouse, you don't need a better house, you don't need a heart that is more self-sufficient and able to keep up with everybody else. You don't need your plans to go the way you want. All you need is need. Do you have enough to enter his kingdom? Do you have enough to pursue it passionately every day? See, this is really calling for a complete death to self, a death to your dreams, a death to believing that any of those alternatives out there could ever really bring you life. It's a death to holding on to Jesus with one hand and all your hopes and dreams in the other. This is a death to using Jesus to be your helper while you still hang on to the control of your life. And the promise that Jesus gives us here is that those who, for those who pursue him in this way, they will be filled. Right? Not might be filled, not may be filled, not eventually will get there, that they will be filled. In fact, let me just show you real quickly how this is already true of your past how it's still true of your present, and how it's going to be true of your future. Just look at those three things. See, we talked earlier about your justification. If you are resting in Jesus for life instead of for your own hopes and dreams, this is all legally true of you in your past. You have been forgiven. You have been given Jesus' perfect record of righteousness. You have been adopted into his family. It's all legally true of you right now. This is how God sees you this moment. But it's also, I think, a promise that God will fill you today as you pursue actual righteousness in your day-to-day -day living. 
It's a reminder that though this is true of me legally, man, I still got a long way to go to, to live like this, to be like this in reality. And as I long for it, long to be like that, as I pursue holiness and being like Jesus, this hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. How? The Spirit of God will fill you. And he will fill you with a reminder of what Jesus has accomplished for you. He will fill you with a reminder of how deeply he loves you. And that's a promise that he will come and fill you as you turn to him. And, and your experience of this will grow over time. But as great as all that is, what we really long for is a day that we will actually be in reality what we already are in God's sight, right? And Jesus says that day is coming. You will be filled. We will really be free from all of the slavery to sin. We really will know God and will walk with him. We will actually be like Jesus in every way. I mean, I think this is why Paul could say in Philippians chapter 3, you have been made perfect in Christ. You are being made perfect in Christ. Let us move on toward perfection to be like Christ. All in one chapter. Listen, a Christian is not somebody who has all their spiritual act together, but it's somebody who is constantly reminding themselves of the righteousness that Jesus has already given them, while at the same time is still hungering and thirsting for actual righteousness, for deeper and deeper experiences of it, and who at the same time lives with this deep longing for one day when all these struggles are going to be laid aside and I'll be filled perfectly, completely, fully, and these struggles will be gone. Listen, the, the more that you are filled with righteousness, the more you will hunger and thirst for it. The more you are filled with unrighteousness, the more you will hunger and thirst for that. And what I'm asking you this morning is I think what Jesus is asking, and that is to listen to the hunger pangs of your heart today. Religious people want a slice of righteousness to fill in what their own can achieve. Irreligious people are completely consumed by their hungers and their passions. But citizens of Jesus' kingdom, they have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And righteousness alone, because we want to be like Jesus. We want to be what our owner's manual says we were designed to be. And it's an appetite that grows and grows and grows until we are fully satisfied in his presence. You know, I started off talking about that sledgehammer, and I think this is where Jesus drops it. Are you satisfied with just kind of knowing about me, using me to kind of navigate through life? Am I a good helper, a good motivator, a good model, a good example, or am I the deep, passionate love of your life? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness, not for answers, not for happiness, not for beauty, not for contentment? Do you hunger for righteousness? They are the ones who will be happy and will be filled. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, even as we hear these words, we have to confess that this is not us. We are not happy all the time. We are not content. We believe the lies that we can find contentment on our own apart from you. Um, and as much as we theologically recognize the error of that, our hearts run to it over and over again every moment of every day. Lord, we are consumed with the lies of self, the lies of... Um, being able to control and pursue happiness apart from you. And we certainly don't think that happiness comes from being righteous and pure and holy. Uh, it just it seems so counterintuitive to our hearts. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for not believing this, that you would lead us back once again to the truth that our own starving hearts like the prodigal would would be driven back to you because we're, we're just still hungry. Nothing works. Nothing satisfies. And that as we come home that we would see the welcome of our Father. Lord, we desperately need to be received back into your arms. We pray that as we come now to the table that you would reassure us of that welcome. In Jesus' name, amen.